Thank you for that introduction, Shane. Uh, for those of you who uh, have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 7 this week. So y'all can open up there. That's where we'll be spending most of our time today. Uh, if you were here last week, you may have heard uh, uh, Chris promise that I would be uh, diving deeply into the gift of tongues. Uh, he was mistaken. <laughs> uh, that's not in the passage today, but we are going to be diving into spiritual gifts. And uh, for those of you who are my note takers out there, uh, get ready, uh, get your notes, notebooks open. If you're not, today's a great day to start. Maybe open up an app, take some notes. Um, we are going to be diving deeply. Uh, let's go ahead and read our passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word that we, uh, that we can place ourselves under, Lord, and, and study and learn, learn from. Lord, I pray that uh, as I preach today, Lord, it would not be my words, but, but yours through me. Lord, that you would open the hearts and ears of this congregation here and, and those listening online at home. Uh, Lord, to hear what you would have for them. Lord, prepare their hearts that you might be working something new in them, something afresh to glorify you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we start off right here at the beginning of, verse one, uh, beginning of chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And Paul starts out with this word, now. And throughout 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing various major topics to the Corinthian church, particular to their situation and their day. And this just signals that transition. So here, Paul is transitioning to that next major topic, or some might say controversy, in the Corinthian church at that time and in that day. And he will be spending the next three chapters, chapters 12 through 14, focused on this very topic, and we too are slowing down here over the summer. Uh, this is week two of 12, where we're, we're spending these 12 weeks really focused on s the Spirit-filled church and, and Spirit-filled living, and we want to really focus in this time on what Scripture says here and what it means for us here in Metro Life Church. So, we're diving in here, verse 1, this first section, verse 1, I'm, I'm, I'm calling spiritual gifts and spiritual people. And it starts off saying concerning spiritual gifts. And that word for spiritual gifts, gifts is something worth digging into a little bit. Uh, in the original language, and I don't always go back to this in a sermon, but here in particular, 
Uh, there are two words that we'll highlight today that are really helpful. And, and this word for spiritual gifts in the original language is the word pneumaticon. And it can mean spiritual people, but uh, oftentimes it's translated as the word spiritual things or spiritually derived things. So uh, the question here is, well, why are they translating it as spiritual gifts here? And it simply boils down to context. The broader context of chapters 12 through 14 is about spiritual gifts. And we see this especially in chapter 14, verse 1. But Paul uh, is being very intentional here. And he he actually uses another word for spiritual gifts in verse 4 that we're going to get into uh, later on today. And he's doing that with great intention. He has a purpose here. And we're going to explore that a little bit later. But for now, it's massively important that we understand a bit more about this word for spiritual gifts, pneumaticon. And to do that, we're actually going to need to make a trip back to chapters 2 and 3 in this same epistle, this same letter here. So if if you'll turn back, if you have your Bibles, great. If not, it should be up on the screen. Um, But... Uh, We're we're going to take a trip back to to chapters 2 and 3 because in that context, Paul is using the very same word, meaning spiritual things or or spiritual truths in in this context. And and I believe he's actually laying the foundations, laying a foundational context for what he is addressing to the Corinthians in chapters, chapter 12, in chapters 12 through 14. And it's important that we understand a little bit more about this. So, Let's go ahead and read. We'll start in verse 10, and we'll go through chapter 3, verse 4. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this not in words taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul speaking here says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Verse 12 there says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And here, Paul is essentially saying that there are two spirits in contrast with one another. And one or the other will dwell in you. You will either have the spirit of the world or you will have the spirit of God. 
And the spirit of the world can be represented by things like we, we see in, in chapter 3, things like jealousy and strife and division that was in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 3. Or, you know, Paul also connects it to the flesh there in chapter 3. And so um, I think of Galatians 5.19, which speaks of the works of the flesh. Galatians 5.19 lays those works of the flesh out as sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. If the spirit of the world is the spirit that's in you, the works of the world and the works of the flesh are going to be what comes out. That's going to be what is evident. And this is contrasted by Paul here with the Spirit who is from God. And with those, we see things, again, just a little later uh, in Galatians 5, like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These will be the things that are characteristic of you if you have the Spirit of God in you. And so, in essence, you will have one or the other in you. And it will determine whether or not you see and understand spiritual things, spiritual truths. And one of those spiritual things is spiritual gifts. Let's keep going on in verse 13 through 15. Verse 13 says, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Those two words, spiritual truths, are actually one word in the Greek, and that is the very same word that is used for spiritual gifts, pneumaticon. And spiritual truths, and and thus spiritual gifts, can only be taught by the Spirit to people, to those people who are spiritual. Another way of saying this is only spiritual people can understand and discern spiritual truths. Only spiritual people can understand and discern spiritual truths. Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Paul here is contrasting the spiritual person with the natural person. And in fact, for the natural person, which would be our normal state of affairs apart from God, for the natural person, we see behavior that is typical of human nature. In other words, for them, they think spiritual things are are foolishness or folly. It's, It's entirely normal thinking for the natural person to think that the spirit, the things of the spirit of God are folly to him. They're foolishness. They're looked down upon, despised, made fun of, belittled. And so, to the natural person, spiritual gifts are going to be something to be laughed at, to be scoffed at. Once again, only spiritual people can understand and discern spiritual truths. But what are the Corinthian people? Are they spiritual or are they natural? Chapter 3, verse 1. Lays it out there. Paul says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. So they weren't ready for it when he was visiting them. And in his letter, he says, And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. So the Corinthian people are not treated like spiritual people, but infants 
still in the flesh. So when Paul here starts with this word pneumaticon in chapter 12, verse 1, so we're, we're, we're looking back ahead to chapter 12, verse 1, for spiritual gifts, the Corinthian people are going to remember that Paul just said earlier in the same letter that spiritual things are discerned by spiritual people. Remember, these letters were typically read in one sitting. So they would have said, hey, just earlier, didn't you say something about spiritual things and spiritual people? And they're going to know that Paul said to them that he can't address them as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, infants in Christ that still even now aren't ready for the solid food of spiritual things. And it's with this background that Paul is saying, Corinthians, you are ignorant of spiritual things. You think you're mature, but you're ignorant children because spiritual gifts are a point of strife and jealousy and division among you. And so, concerning spiritual gifts, which are spiritual things derived by spiritual people, concerning these spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed. Or another way to put it would be to say, Paul saying, I do not want you to be ignorant. In other words, what Paul is about to lay out here in the next three chapters concerning spiritual gifts is the central Christian truth that he doesn't want them to be ignorant of. It's vitally important for the Corinthian church, for their life and flourishing. They need to understand this. We need to understand this. But to understand this, we must first have received the Spirit of God and be spiritual people. So a question for us. Would you say that in your experience, spiritual gifts and being a, a, a Spirit-filled, Spirit-controlled person is a central Christian truth that's taught in most churches today? What about in, in the West, maybe, in North America, in Europe? Or maybe we look into the rest of the world, Africa, South America, East Asia. What about in our own church? Is that a central Christian truth taught in our church? How about in your own life? Is it something that you've treated as a central Christian truth? You know, different people are going to have different answers to those questions, even about the question about our own church here today, depending on your experience. But I have a confession here. Personally, and I don't know about you, but I don't think I've treated this quite like a, a central Christian truth not to remain ignorant of in my own life. I think it's really easy to say, you know, this is complex and confusing and, and sometimes uncomfortable stuff to talk about. And you know what? I love Jesus with my whole heart, and, and I love God, and I want to be open to spiritual truths and spiritual gifts and these things, but I'm not going to really focus in on it or dive too deeply here. I think it's really easy to have that attitude. And I think it's an attitude that I've had in my own heart. Now, I want to be careful here when, we, when we're getting into ignorance um, to, to lay out a difference here. Because there's a difference between normal, natural ignorance and willful ignorance. Normal ignorance is you don't know what you don't know. And that's to be expected. In fact, the scripture says our Lord is gracious and gentle toward the ignorant. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 2 says, 
Uh, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Now, this is actually talking about the, uh, the Old Testament priests, but it's doing so in a context that points forward towards Christ, foreshadowing Christ, who himself took on human flesh, took on weakness, and can sympathize with us. First Timothy Chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Timothy is speaking here and says, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So natural ignorance is something to be aware of, but you don't know what you don't know. And there's grace and mercy there. But willful ignorance, willful ignorance is where you know what you don't know, and you don't want to know it. (laughs) Willful ignorance is dangerous. So when I talk about this, I'm I'm preaching to myself here and looking at, and I I don't want to remain ignorant, but I I especially don't want to remain willfully ignorant. I must not remain ignorant willfully ignorant of the things of the Lord that I'm aware of, especially spiritual gifts here, because knowingly remaining ignorant is dangerous, and, and, and that willful ignorance can lead down a path of destruction. And, and I think I want to walk through briefly six consequences of remaining willfully ignorant. When we know what we don't know, and we say, hey, I, I don't really want to know more about that. The first thing that I think can happen is we can quench the spirit where we can grieve the Spirit. Ephesians 4, 30, uh, the whole context would be 25 through 32. I'm not going to read it. You can put that in your notes, but th- that'd be a good example of this. And, and it's, it's not like it happens all at once, right? It's not like I've completely quenched the Spirit and I hear no more. No, it's, it's progressive. It's bit by bit. Oh, I don't want to hear the Spirit on that. All right, well, maybe you're going to quench the Spirit a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. until so, all right, let's, number two, I think another uh, consequence can be spiritual deafness. Zechariah chapter 7 verse 11 puts it this way when speaking of Israel. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and plugged their ears from hearing. So when we refuse to pay attention, we're saying to the Lord, no. And, and, And it's not just saying no, it's turning away from him turning that shoulder, and even more, plugging our ears so that we cannot hear what the Lord hears from us. And so when we silence hearing the Lord on one thing, okay, that's one step. But what else are we going to miss hearing from him? How will that progress? It's a slippery slope. Number three, hardness of heart. Again, uh, continuing in Zechariah chapter 7, we, we just read verse 11, but verse 12 says, they also made their hearts as hard as flint, or some, some translation says as hard as diamond, so that they could not hear the law and the words which the Lord of armies or the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. We harden our hearts over time. We lose that sensitivity to the things of the Spirit. Fourth consequence there uh, can be spiritual blindness. And we see this in Matthew chapter 13, verse 15. For 
The heart of this people has become dull. So we just talked about hardness of heart as a consequence. The heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. And so not only do we cease to hear from the Lord, not only do our hearts become hard, but we cease to see the things of the Lord. We cease to see where He is working, things that He is calling us to, and bit by bit that can lead us further into danger. All right, number five, and, and I think these build progressively, and you'll, you'll see it as we hit five and six here, um, where the consequences can become more and more dire to remaining willfully ignorant. Number five is being given over to sin. We see this in Romans one twenty eight and Ephesians 4.19. Romans one twenty eight says, and they and, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And so in remaining willfully ignorant of the things of the Lord and turning from him time and time again over time, the Lord eventually says, okay, I'm going to give you over to that. And that's my judgment upon you, is that you are going to be given over to this sin. Ephesians 4.19, and, and I'm going to read uh, the context starting in verse 17. Uh, I'll read 17 and skip to 19 there. So Ephesians 4.17. So, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Then verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. They are full of greed. There's danger here in remaining willfully ignorant. The last one. Number six. We risk being rejected and ignored by God. Hosea 4.6. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I will also ignore your children. What a fearful thing that is. And it's not just us being rejected as priests, but no, there are generational effects and consequences of this. So brothers and sisters, when when I think of looking at spiritual gifts and I I look at, hey, I, I know that I don't know above this. This is a corrective for my own heart. I don't know about you, but this, this text today, this sermon series, is serving as a corrective for me in my own heart. I must not remain ignorant, for the danger of willful ignorance is real. But thankfully, God's grace is greater. God's grace calls us out of that. He is patient with us and kind to us. And so I'm praying a prayer here today for a greater desire and ability to learn and discern spiritual things, spiritual truths, to embrace spiritual gifts and their benefit for building up the church body. All right, let's keep moving forward. We're going to go to verses uh, 2 and 3 in chapter 12. And 
I think this is best summarized under the heading of the work of the Holy Spirit frees us from slavery to mute idols and enables us to confess Jesus as Lord. We'll see that the, Holy, the work of the Holy Spirit frees us from slavery to mute idols and enables us to confess Jesus as Lord. Verses 2 and 3 here, I'll read again briefly. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. You know, verse 1 is kind of carrying all this baggage that we just discussed. It's the implications from chapters 2 and 3 that the Corinthians are ignorant and natural, unspiritual people who are mishandling the spiritual gifts in an unspiritual way with division and strife. And yet in verses 2 and 3, I think Paul is taking a little bit of an aside here to reassure the Corinthians. Because he says, you know that when you were pagans, meaning that they are no longer pagans, He says that um, you were led astray to meet mute idols, meaning that they have been freed from mute idols. And that little comment there, however you were led, just means in in whatever manner you were led. So, you know, we would say that as you you know you were led astray from mute idols in whatever manner you were led. So there's a lot of different manners, a lot of different ways in which mute idols were leading them astray. Verse 3, therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. They can and do say. The Corinthians can and do say that Jesus is Lord. Meaning they have the Holy Spirit. It may be infantile. It may need milk and not meat. But that's part of what this letter is about. It's to address these topics. To build them up. To help them grow into maturity and love. And no, this, this verse 3 isn't a spiritual litmus test or a confessional test to distinguish between true and false spirits. No, it's just a general establishment of who has the Holy Spirit at all. And the Corinthians do. Paul is asserting that they have been transformed by the Holy Spirit, that they are no longer pagans, that they've been freed from mute idols, and that they can confess Jesus is Lord, all by the Spirit of God who is working in them. Man, this is good news for us too, believers. Because I think the same is true for us. The Spirit leads us out of pagan practices and thought patterns. The Spirit frees us from slavery to mute idols. That's the things in our life that that we worship, but don't speak any meaning into our lives. They're empty. They're fruitless. The Spirit empowers us to declare in faith that Jesus is Lord. We can declare that to our spouse, our parents, our children, our family, our co-workers, our friends. We can declare it to strangers. And we can declare that truth to ourselves. The work of the Holy Spirit frees us from slavery to mute idols and enables us to confess Jesus is Lord. All right, let's head on to the last section here today. Chapter 12, verses 4 through 7, we're going to be looking at the diversity and unity of gifts given to all. And I'll reread this section for us to keep it fresh in our minds. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. 
And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Paul talks about variety and unity here. He's highlighting that there is a variety or many different gifts, service, and activities or, or works. We see variety of gifts in verse 4, and this is, this is spiritual gifts or grace gifts. This is, in verse 5, we see that there's a varieties of service, and this is a broad term meaning your everyday service, everyday acts that you see that, that serve someone else or serve the church. And finally, we see varieties of activities or, or Another way to, to translate this would be a varieties of work. And, and in fact, in the original language, it comes across as varieties of works which God is working in you. So there's this beautiful little poetic thing there that, that Paul is doing, seeing the works that God is working in and through them. And in each and every instance here, God is the one apportioning the variety and breadth of gifts and service and work. And yet, in each of these things, there, there's a diversity. There's also a unity behind one. And we see that it's a Trinitarian unity. In verse 4, we see that it is the same Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit. In verse 5, it's the same Lord Jesus. And in verse 6, it is the same God, the Father. And that isn't to say that the Spirit is only linked to the gifts and Jesus is only linked to service. No, what he's saying here is that it is the same three-in-one God that we worship, that is the root of all of these things. So there is a unity of these gifts and service and work in God, yet there is also a variety or diversity going on here. I don't have the same gifts that you do. I don't have the same ability to serve as you do. And he or she doesn't have the same works laid out for them as someone else does. But they're all good, and they're all needed. I think of this a bit like uh, an analogy here of, a, of an orchestra. You know, not everyone can be the principal or lead violinist. We need second and third string players to come along and support in the background. We need brass and woodwinds, strings and percussion. We even need those who might be gifted to be the conductor. And when all of those things come together, each playing the role meant for them and timed all together in unity, something beautiful and amazing happens. It's bigger than the individual parts themselves. And, and the listeners, what do they typically say? Well, they, they, they often marvel the in, at the instrumentalist, but they also often marvel at the composer, the one who orchestrated the music. And I think the analogy fits so well with our spiritual lives because the reality is God orchestrates the variety of giftings, service, and work that he calls each of us to. And when we all walk together in, in, in each of our God-given roles, something amazing happens. The music of our lives, when each of us fulfilling and walking in our God-given purposes, becomes a symphony of lives, live for and declaring the glory of the composer. That is the glory of our triune God, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Verse 4 talks about this varieties of gifts. And there's a change in language here, and this is what I referred to earlier. This is where Paul is very intentionally shifting from using that word in verse 1, pneumaticon, to using this new word in verse 4, which is charismaton. This is where we get our word charismata or charismatic. And while our more modern understanding of this word is linked to the more like miraculous type gifts like healing and prophecy and tongues, that's not what Paul is doing at all here. In fact, he's expanding the Corinthians' understanding of the gifts to include the vast breadth of things that we might consider more ordinary like service and teaching while still including the things that we might consider more extraordinary like healing or tongues. But Paul isn't making those distinctions. In fact, he's including them all together under this word charismata. But there's even more here because Paul is emphasizing something very specific in using this word. He's shifting the focus from being purely spiritually discerned and derived. Remember that original word, um, uh, that original word pneumaticon, being purely spiritually discerned and derived. Something that the Corinthians have already shown that they're really too immature to handle. So he's shifting from that to this word charismata, which means grace gift. In other words, a totally undeserved spiritual gifting that the Lord gives, that the Lord bestows. And we know that based on their jealousy, strife, rivalry, and dissension, that they are not worthy nor mature enough. And yet, the Lord is graciously giving these things to them. In fact, we see in verse 7 that it's given to each which means to all. These, these gifts are given to all believers. Every one of you here, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, has giftings, has service, has, has works the Lord has laid out for you. Believer, if you feel like you don't have a gifting or you are inadequate, less than, undeserving, well, in one sense, you are totally right. But it isn't just you. You see, we're all undeserving of these gifts. And yet, God in his gracious providence chooses to give gifts to all. None of us deserve to have these gifts, but God's grace is greater. And so, you may not realize it, but God has given you a specific gifting to build up, encourage, and in profit the body of Christ, that is the church. God has chosen you for a very specific role. You have specific giftings and specific acts of service and specific activities of work which God has prepared for you beforehand to discover and walk in them. What wonderful news. And all of this conveyed by the simple change of a word from a pneumaticone to charismaton, to grace gifts. These aren't just spiritual gifts. These are grace gifts. Verse 7 
to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. You know, when I was reading this, I asked myself, why does it say the manifestation of the Spirit? Seems like it should be a manifestation of the Spirit, right? Well, let's quickly define manifestations to cause something to be fully known by revealing clearly in detail. Or Webster's 1828, manifestation, the act of disclosing what is secret, unseen, or obscure, discovery to the eye or to the understanding, the exhibition of anything by clear evidence display. So these gifts, service, and works are display. They are a clear revealing, but of what? Well, they're revealing of the Spirit, and they're, they're also given by the Spirit. We see here that, that the Spirit is the one that is giving the manifestation, that is, the the gifts, the service, the works are being given to us by the Spirit, but they are also declaring and disclosing who the Spirit is. Which, what's the purpose of the Spirit? It's to declare Jesus. So by the transitive principle here, declaring the Spirit is also to declare Christ. Because the Spirit's very purpose is to declare, disclose, and point us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. To what end? To what purpose? For the building up, for the benefit, for the common good, for the benefit of the church. This is profiting the church, plural. Not merely the individual, although we do benefit from spiritual gifts individually, but here it is for the body of Christ. That is the whole church. I think a, a great way to help wrap our minds around what it really means to benefit the church is, is to take a look at Ephesians 4. 11 through 16, uh, where, where Paul talks about building up the church. So I'll, I'll read this here briefly. So starting in verse 11. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. The question there is built up until what? In other words, what's the end goal of the building up? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. When I look at this, in this passage here in Ephesians 4, I, I, I see seven goals, seven, seven purposes, the, the end of building up the church. And, and if we see spiritual gifts, purpose, as, as also being profitable, building up the church, then we, we can, again, we can link these things together and we can say, you know, seven goals here for what spiritual gifts are all about. This is the fruit that they should produce. This is their aim. One, we want to see them to, uh, we want to see us, that we all reach unity. And it's unity in two things, unity in the faith and unity in the knowledge of the Son of God. 
You know, Paul is preaching a lot on divisions here, and, and that's why uh, the, the Corinthians are, have these divisions. They're, they're experiencing immaturity, and so unity. That, that's what these are about. Gifts should not be dividing us. They should be bringing us together in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Number two, that, that we might become mature. And what does it mean to become mature? The verse says it right there, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. How many of you there attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? (laughs) Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. I've got a ways to go this side of heaven. But in another sense, we have full access. We have full access. The Spirit has come, and we can experience the full measure of of, of the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The third goal of building up the church or of spiritual gifts is to no longer be infants. No longer be immature. To be infants. Number four, to not be blown about or rattled or swayed by every teaching. And, and he goes on here. He talks about cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. scheming. And, and this means that that's out there, guys. That, that we are going to encounter people who aren't just wrong, but are deceitful are cunning, are aiming at leading people astray. These are wolves in sheep's clothing where there are false teachers. And so building up to that maturity so that we know the words, so that we know Christ, we can identify that and say, no, I will not be blown about by that. Number five, the fifth goal here, speaking the truth in love. This is so much easier said than done. You know, when the Lord niggles the back of your mind and you're like, oh, I really should go. I really should go talk to that brother or sister. Or maybe it's a stranger. Oh, maybe I need to ask him if I can pray for them. And you have this internal war. Oh, they're going to judge me. They're, they're not going to like what I have to say. No. Maturity, building up the church, the gifts Push us to speak the truth in love. Number six, growing into becoming the body of Christ. And man, is this ever laid out more in uh, chapter 12. And and we're going to see this more in sermons to come. So I'm I'm not going to spend too much time on that. But Christ is our head. We're the body of of believers, each of us in our own function, uh, each with our own giftings. Verse 7 or sorry, num- number seven here, the seventh application, growing and building ourselves up in love. As we do the works that God has laid out for us, as God is working those works in and through us, as we exercise the gifts that the Spirit has given us, as we serve others, what do they do? They build up the body in love. A love defined by God because the God of this Bible is love. And as we'll see in chapter 13, again, Paul has the same emphasis in our our study coming up that, that love is the purpose. Loving others, loving God, pointing them towards Christ. All right, we're gonna bring this to a close here today. Um, And as we wrap up, man, grace gifts, Paul's application to the Corinthians is, to be sure, a call for correction. 
to the immaturity, the divisions represented by extreme and, and often excluding positions they're taking in that church on spiritual gifts where some say tongues are not a gift, no one should speak them, and others are saying tongues are these amazing super gifts that are to be prized above all. Paul's providing a corrective there. And, and as we'll see in the weeks to come, at the same time Paul is broadening their understanding of what these gifts are and who has them. And so too for us, not just this week, but in the weeks to come, I want to encourage us to not remain ignorant. Come and grow. Be stretched in your understanding and practice of these spiritual things, of spiritual gifts that are given to all. Be it service or working or the many examples that you can read ahead of and I do encourage you to read ahead in these chapters 12 through 14 or elsewhere in Scripture. Romans, there are plenty of other examples of spiritual gifts. Be challenged by the Spirit who frees you from slavery to mute idols. Be challenged by the Spirit by whom we may say Jesus is Lord. And be challenged and stretched by seeking and growing in these gracious gifts, undeserved by us, but given to us by God and empowered by the Spirit, that we might walk in them, that we might grow and build ourselves up and build up the body of Christ in love. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you are so gracious and kind to provide loving corrective to us and encouragement and grace. Graciously giving gifts that are not deserved. Lord, I pray as we walk out of these doors today, Lord, that you would be working in the hearts and minds of all the believers here, Lord. That the end goal here is building up. It's building up in love that love of neighbor and love of God would be something that is emblematic of who we are. Lord, be with us today as we go forward. In Jesus' name we pray.